your Locked On Maple Leafs, your daily podcast on the Toronto Maple Leafs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Leafs podcast. I'm your host, Mike DiStefano from TSN 1050 Toronto Radio, also known as Al's brother from TSN's Overdrive. You can find me on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show while you're at it at Locked On Leafs. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing to the podcast. Leave a rating and review as well. That truly does help me out quite a bit growing this thing. So that would be much, much appreciated. Today, I am being joined by Ken Stapon, a coworker of mine over at TSN, also the host of the uh, Not Another Least podcast. So, Ken, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks, Mikey. Happy to be here. Are you? Because the Leafs aren't, uh, the Leafs <laughs> are on a, you know what? Let me, let me, let me say it like this. The Leafs have lost two in a row, but I personally don't feel bad about it. How do you feel? Uh, not as bad as some of the Leaf fans on Twitter are feeling. Yeah. They're feeling pretty bad about it. <laughs> right. That, that's uh, what I mean. Like, we've already got some like, oh, see, they need to fire Dubis. Nylander needs to yeah, get traded. Yeah. This team the usual. Get it done. They can't even beat the Canucks, yada, yada, yada. It's just, it's insane. It's insane. Right. To me, they ran into a hot goalie. Yeah. It's and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a five-game road trip. Uh, you go out, you really handle the Oilers well, 13-1 to in those three games, um, really stuffing at that point what most people believed was the second-best team in Canada on the road and really just handling them. And then you move on to the lowly Canucks, as I described them the other day on our podcast, at LeafsPod, if you want to follow that on Twitter, and you throw up a couple stinkers. You lose both games. You run into a hot goaltender in Thatcher Demko, who's just able to handle everything that the Leafs were throwing at him. And in the middle of the series, the Canucks GM, Jimmy Benning, has a press conference just trying to put out all the fires based off the fact that his team has been extremely, well, just is underperformed. Just call it what it is. This was a team that had big aspirations coming into this season after having what was a pretty successful playoff run last year, sort of out of the blue. So they've really underperformed. Uh, I think most people expected Toronto to walk out of Vancouver with four points, but alas, they walk out with zero. Having said that, I'm not concerned at all. Uh, now they have a chance to rebound with the three-game set against what's a much more difficult team, the Winnipeg Jets. So a good opportunity for the Leafs to bounce back and get back in the win column, but it'll be against some difficult opposition here. Yeah, and, and, and we'll get to that. We'll preview the Jets-Leafs uh, game coming up later tonight. It's a big, big series coming up. We're also going to play some cosign, no sign too, so make sure you guys stay tuned for all that good stuff. Um Yesterday, we got some interesting news or some interesting sound bites. Austin Matthews came out and he spoke about uh, his wrist and how it's still not 100%. Uh, hasn't scored since February 20th. Yet somehow, this guy is still three goals ahead in the rocket race. <laughs> like it just it doesn't make any sense to me. But, you know, it, it sounds about right because when I, when I think back to the Canucks, uh, the, the Canucks games, you know, there's a couple opportunities that Matthews has that he kind of missed his mark, right? He doesn't uh, hit the net or he brings one off the bar, off the post, and it's just something that he wasn't doing earlier in the year. It just seems like something is a touch off offensively, and it seems like that wrist is, is affecting him a little bit. 
Well, the first indicator for me that something was going on was the fact that he was playing in the bumper spot on the power play. Yeah. Which is not where he traditionally plays. And that's where he's made a lot of his money this year has been on that hash mark, just ripping slap shots uh, on the past dish from Mish Marner. So watching him play in the bumper spot was the initial sort of indication that there could be something wrong. Um, I believe uh, in the game that they, went, that they went to overtime not too long ago, Sheldon Keefe actually ended up starting John Tavares. I forget which game it was, in OT. And the reason that he started Tavares was because Matthew's wrist was still bothering him a little bit, and he didn't want to really take the face off. So that was the first indication that the wrist was sort of going to be an issue. Now, obviously, it's still bothering him, and for some reason, he's still in the lineup. I really don't understand this. If Austin Matthews isn't going to be able to shoot the puck – in the way that he's been so effective in doing it and what really makes him the most dominant player on the ice while he's out there, then I don't know why you're not setting him up. Just get him completely healthy. Uh, let him relax. It's not as if the division is up for grabs. It certainly seems like this team is going to put it in cruise control and end up in the playoffs. It doesn't seem like home ice is going to be particularly important in the playoffs, at least in the first two rounds, when you're going to be playing Canadian teams that likely won't have anybody in the fans anyways. I don't understand why what the need is to rush this guy back before he's 100% healthy or feeling like he can be effective in all the ways that he's been so effective for the team this year, as you highlighted still a couple of goals ahead in the rocket race, despite the fact that he hasn't scored since I believe you said February 20th. Yeah. <laughs> That's wild. It's still insane to me when I, when I noticed that, uh, that, that stat earlier today, but um, yeah, no, it's, it's definitely like a question they need to ask yourself. Is it, is it worth Matthews being out there? Like, would he be better off taking a few nights off uh, again, just trying to rest it up and, and, and get that wrist ready to go. But I think something uh, something that's being taken into account is the fact that there there's some rest coming up. The next couple of weeks is going to be uh, quite quite uh, light on the schedule. I think next week they got four straight days off where where that hopefully is some time he can take to rest his wrist. Uh, they've got I think it's five games in, in a 14 day span, so they've got some some time he, here. Once this week is over, I guess to, to rest up and hopefully get all the troops ready to go. And, and that leads me to my next question I have for you. You know, right now, I think uh, we, we still got an injury to, to, to Wayne Simmons. Uh, so what does this team look like with a fully healthy lineup to you? <laughs> well, it's kind of hard to say, isn't it? It seems like they well, got bit by the injury bug early and – got bit by it often with Thornton missing time. You've had Simmons miss extended time. The goaltenders Campbell and Anderson have been in and out of the lineup all season long. So we don't really remember what this team looks like. And, you know, parlay that with the fact that Sheldon Keefe has really enjoyed just putting all these lines into a blender on a consistent basis, especially in the bottom six. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know if Joe Thornton is going to be established and playing with Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews consistently for the rest of the season. We don't know who Tavares is running mate, although they seem to have found some chemistry with Kerfoot plugging in on the left wing slot there. And that third line of Engvall, Hyman, and Mikheyev, Sheldon Keefe seems pretty high on them. So it's hard to tell what this team is going to look like when they're fully healthy. Now, one thing that we both know is that Simmons is a guy in the lineup that is not easily replaced. He brings intangibles to the game that other Maple Leaf players don't have, that power forward nature, the grinds go in, you know, he's physical. He's been notably, he's dropped the gloves a couple times this year to protect his teammates. There just aren't a lot of guys 
in this organization who are able to do that for the Toronto Maple Leafs. So bringing him back in, and certainly even in front of the net on the power play, he's had some success there as well. So once he gets healthy, he'll certainly at least give the Maple Leafs more options as being a guy that can really insert into the top six if they need to, into the bomb six if they need to, and really help them balance out those two power play units. One thing that Manny Malhotra has done coming in here is uh, just reestablishing the fact that he wants to spread the wealth instead of loading up one unit, sort of give uh, some of the talented players, put them on the second unit, keep some of the talented players on the top unit, and then roll them out and have two minutes where you can effectively be able to wear the other team down and score. So I think that's probably where you see the biggest difference is on uh, the special teams play. But certainly Simmons being inserted back into the lineup, he just seems like a guy that can change the game in a number of ways that the Maple Leafs aren't able to do when he's not in the lineup. I just find it interesting because now we, we kind of have this newly formed third line of Engvall, McCabe, and Hyman, but it, it seems to be working. Now, Keith broke it up a little bit uh, in, in Saturday night's game to try and get it, get it going and ended up reuniting Hyman with the big boys, Mitch and, Mitch and Austin. Uh, I don't know if that's going to be the recipe going forward. I guess we'll see what happens with the lines today. I don't, I haven't seen the practice lines come out yet, but we'll end up seeing what it looks like. But if, if they decide to, to, to do that and, and they put Hyman back up on the top line and then that second line looks something like uh, Kerfoot, Tavares and Nylander. The question is like, what, what happens with Joe Thornton? At that point, because because now you're looking your third line, you're probably got what uh, keep that intact with Mikheyev, Engvall. And I guess that's where you're sliding in Wayne Simmons to back on that third line and kind of be that guy. But I think one of the thing that keeps this third line so effective is the fact that they all got some good speed. Foot speed isn't quite uh, quite the thing that that Wayne Simmons possesses at this point in his career. So I don't know if that's a good fit there. And then what happens with Joe Thornton? Like, this is my, my question is what happens with this lineup if they decide to, to reunite Hyman on that top line? These two guys, it's almost like you can't have them on a line together. Like, you can't have a fourth line of Thornton, Spezza, and... Uh, Boyd or whoever <laughs> else in the middle. Well, or Simmons. Like, that, that just can't happen, right? Like, it's just too too slow, too old. It's not going to go yeah, over very well. The, the one thing I would say, Mikey, is that I think that Sheldon Keefe is pretty aware of the fact that Joe Thornton isn't going to be able to play every shift. And I think that he's okay keeping Thornton on that top line and then just plugging in Zach Hyman on the odd shift here and there when yeah. he wants a different look. And Hyman seems comfortable with that. He's obviously a younger guy. He's got a little bit better legs. And doesn't seem to be bothered by, you know, playing a couple shifts with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and then going and playing a couple shifts with Pierre Engvall and Ilya Mikheyev. I don't think that this is out of the of the comfort zone for Sheldon Keith, just to shuffle up the lines during the game. Um, the heir apparent or like prior to this, like Mike Babcock, I should say, uh, was so resonant to ever change any of the lines, especially during a game. It seems like what he was coming in with he was going to keep for the whole game no matter what. This is not Sheldon Keefe's style of coaching. He seems to be completely comfortable with just throwing out random players here, there, whatever, anything to get a spark. So certainly I don't think that, although he wants to keep that third line intact of Engelwald, McKayev, and Hyman, and they have looked great at times. You mentioned the top-end speed. 
Like, my goodness, when Ilya Mikheyev gets moving down the ice, he's almost like a runaway train. I just wish he had a little bit more control over the puck after he gets up to that top end speed because he hasn't seemed to be able to finish this year. But I don't, I don't think that he's planning on moving Thornton at all. In fact, I don't think that he's really going to be effective in a lesser role. We heard Ray Ferraro talking about yeah. this on Overdrive. It's like, what's he going to be able to do if he's not out there with the scores? The way that he's uh, able to influence the game is with his mind and with his hands. And right. he's able to find Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and just with a perfect touch, like off the boards, or he puts the pucks into areas where only they can get it. That's where he's going to be effective. He's not going to be effective on a fourth line where he's expected to be back checking. Cause I gotta be honest. Sometimes I see this guy in the offensive zone yeah. and he'll pretty. go down. And then next thing you know, the other team's breaking out the puck and I can start the stopwatch. And usually it's about 15 or 20 seconds before <laughs> Jumbo Joe is coming back into the offensive zone or into the defensive zone, I should say to assist on the back check. So I can't see Sheldon Keefe really putting this guy anywhere else in the lineup on a regular basis. What I could see is maybe a little bit of load management down the stretch here where he sits the odd game in or the, takes the odd game off of the lineup, out of the lineup and just uh, watches from the press box just to give his body a little bit of extra time to recoup. Yeah, that makes sense, actually. That, that makes a lot of sense and a very rationale take out of you, Kenny. Uh, <laughs> what, few, right. few and far between. Exactly. Hey, man, we work in radio. That's It's hot takes galore. <laughs> um, all right, we'll take a quick break. When we return, let's tee up this game tonight between the Leafs and Jets. Stay tuned here on the Locked on Leafs podcast. All right, welcome back to the Locked on Leafs podcast. Mike DiStefano with you. Alongside me, we got Ken Stapon, and we're previewing tonight's game between the Maple Leafs and the Jets. It's a big series. You know, they sit 1-2 in the division based on points percentage, and I think that the Leafs really, they can break this division wide open with a couple of wins here. Like a, a sweep, it's over. This Canadian division, North division, wrapped up, give them the crown. I, I truly believe that that would be the case if the Leafs sweep it. But even a big win here, I, I think that they can solidify themselves as the most, like the likely, likely, highly likely favorite to win this division. Um, so what, what were your thoughts going into tonight? Well, on the flip side, Mikey, the Jets really have a big opportunity here in this three-game set to close yep. the gap on the Maple Leafs. Yep. And they got to be thinking about that. If they can come in here and get three straight wins, which is obviously going to be difficult to do the way that Toronto's been playing this year, and I believe they can close the gap to within a couple of points behind Toronto, and they still will have a couple of games in hand on the Maple Leafs upon the conclusion of this series. So a big opportunity for both teams, certainly. Now, I know that Austin Matthews probably isn't going to be looking forward to seeing Pierre-Luc Dubois again after the way that he was able to handle the Maple Leaf star center in that series against Columbus last year. My goodness, he was uh, all over him on the forecheck, on the backcheck. Just a real pain in the ass to play against. He's got great skating ability, so he can play against those difficult matchups of Tavares and Matthews on the other side. And then you still got Mark Scheifele for the Winnipeg Jets. So I think as far as center depth is concerned, this is probably the most difficult matchup that the Toronto Maple Leafs will have in the North division this season, trying to deal with those two guys who match up considerably well against Tavares and against Austin Matthews. And ultimately with the Winnipeg Jets, it goes as far as they're going to go as far as Connor Helliabuck can take them. The former Vesna trophy winner played an outstanding year last year. He's played pretty well to this point this season, despite not having a really defined bolster decor or really like a strong decor. He's played really well. So it remains to be seen. I think ultimately it'll come down to a battle of the goaltenders who's able to outperform who 
Frederick Anderson has been up to the task at certain points this year, and hopefully uh, they can get healthy, or their backup, Jack Campbell, can get healthy here. Because Michael Hutchinson had a real tough game against the Canucks the other night. So I give the edge to the Leafs, especially given the fact that they just dropped those two games to the Vancouver Canucks. Um, but like I said, I'm Winnipeg right now, I don't think that – I think you can pretty definitively say is the second-best team in the Canadian division based off their record in the last 10, I believe, 7-3 and three in their last 10 games. So yeah. a pretty hot team on their way in. Yeah, no, they're playing fantastic. And you mentioned, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, bringing him in, really rounding out that that uh, that team there and, and making them extremely tough to play against, right? I think that's kind of the big thing there. And, you know, Paul Maurice just loves adding a guy like that to his lineup. And it's it's going to be difficult. It's, it's going to be a, a tough task going up against this team. They are super deep. They roll four lines. Uh, they can score at will. You have guys like Nick Ehlers, you know, having a career year. Um, and Mark Shifley has just been dynamite, like like underratedly an MVP candidate for uh, the Winnipeg Jets. And I think he's got, what, 33 points so far this season. So, you know, he's Unreal. keeping up. Keep it up with like Matthews and Marner in the scoring race. It's it's crazy. He's he's having a fantastic season, and it's not being talked about enough. Um, but I, I'm I'm with you. I think this is definitely Toronto's game to lose. Toronto's series to lose. At the end of the day, I still look at 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 the Leafs as as the team to beat. And until the Jets can do that, I see Toronto as the favorite. Um, and and here's the thing. You know, Brian Hayes mentioned this on Overdrive yesterday. He said, the great team stopped the bleeding at two games. They haven't lost three games in a row all season. And in order to be established as one of the great teams this year, to be in the conversation of the Vegases, of the, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, you got to stop the bleeding, right? That, that's basically word for word what, what Hayes was saying. But it's true. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's true. They, they, yeah. they can't sit there, lose three in a row, because then once you lose three in a row, that's when the doubt kind of starts to creep in. Like, oh, maybe we're not as good as we thought we were. Like, maybe we were just getting those lucky breaks earlier. What's going on in our game? What do we need to change? And then you start gripping the stick a little bit, and now you're not playing this simple structured hockey that you were playing before because now you're thinking, oh, we got to do more. And, and, you know, sometimes – more or less is more and that's not always the case when you get you know get mired in a losing streak you're thinking yeah. too much so no, you, know, you don't th this team is not as good as they were when they dummied the Oilers 13 to 1 in three games and they aren't as bad as they were after they lose those two games to the Canucks oh, somewhere in between they're yeah. gonna have to come out with a big effort and I would expect to see more of the effort that we saw against Edmonton rather than the effort that we saw against the Vancouver Canucks in the last two games. And that's a long road trip. It's just like the guys are going to be happy to be home back in Toronto, back into their own apartments. Um, the top six for Winnipeg is going to be a real pain in the ass for Toronto. You mean, you mentioned, yep. you mentioned Ehler, Shifley, Dubois. How about Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, and Paul Stasny rounding out the other three, uh, all incredibly talented players. So it'll be a really uh, even matchup for the top six of Toronto against the top six of Winnipeg. I should also note that Frederick Anderson's career split splits against the Jets 10-0-2. So he's never lost in regulation to Winnipeg, which certainly uh, should favor Toronto heading into this matchup. Yeah, he's got their number. He's got their number, that's for sure. Uh, if you had to go with your three keys to the game to ensure a Toronto victory, what do you think the Leafs need to do tonight? 
Well, just a consistent effort for 60 minutes. I mean, that's been uh, the calling card in the past where we've talked about this team looks great for 20. They look great for 25, but the other 35, they're all over the place. I think that's kind of what happened against Vancouver was they weren't, didn't put together a consistent 60 minute effort the way that they did against Edmonton. So certainly want to come out and have that aspect of the game in control. Um, Obviously stay out of the penalty box. We've noted that Toronto as one of the best power plays in the league this season. So this really goes for both teams, but the jets, I mean, we outline those top six scores. You give them an extra, some extra room out there to move the puck around. That's going to make it really difficult for the other team. So for the Maple Leafs and for the jets, if you want to have success in the series, you're going to have to stay out of the penalty box. And then ultimately it just comes down to who's the better goaltender. Frederick Anderson versus Connor Heliabach. Both are established number ones in the league. Um, I just noted Frederick Anderson's stats against the Winnipeg Jets. So he's done well against them in his career. But Heliabach, the former Vezina Trophy winner, will obviously be up to the task as well. So we saw what happened in the last series with Thatcher Demko. He was the better, best goalie in the series, and the Canucks won two games. In large part, it's going to come down to Frederick Anderson and Connor Heliabach and who's able to perform better over this three-game stretch. Yeah, and you got to hope that you don't run into a hot goalie again in this series. You, when that happens in back-to-back series, it's, it's kind of gutting. You know, you play well for a five, six game stretch, but you just run into a hot goalie and they just take points away from you. So that, that, that's, that's the hope here out of Leafs fans. Hopefully Anderson could be that hot goalie that Winnipeg runs into. Uh, for me, my three keys, I, I think first and foremost, I think they got to get Matthews going. I know we, we discussed how he's you know injured a little bit. His wrist is bothering him. But five games without a goal, um, you know, past couple of games, he's, he's, he's been close. He's getting his opportunities, just hasn't been able to, to quite finish. I think it's a, against a team like Winnipeg, you got to finish on the opportunities that, that you get here because they're going to get a lot of opportunities themselves and they're going to finish themselves. So I think if Matthews gets going, that kind of makes that, that makes this game different. That makes the team different to be honest. So that's the first key. I, I think secondly, score first, this team is 13, two and one when they score first, the jets are nine, three and one when they score first. So safe to say, you know, scoring first is, is a big key for both of these teams. Once they get the lead, they play a little different, they play better. And I I think that's going to be a big key tonight. So get off to a good early start. Like you said, score first and then complete that 60 minute effort. Like we saw back in Edmonton. And thirdly, the biggest key, I think, and this goes to your point about how well this this Jets team is is put together, how well built they are, you can't allow the Jets to get inside. I think they have an extremely talented squad. They keep things if if the Leafs can keep things to the outside, don't give up the odd man rushes, don't give up the breakaways, chance from the slot, these backdoor chances. You got to shut those down and continue to play strong defensive play. Don't give them any high danger chances, any slot shots, and keep things to the outside. I think that's going to be key here because when things are kept to the outside and Anderson can see pucks, he'll save pucks. So that's the, the, the best key, I think, for his success and for the team's success overall. Certainly, and the, like those are all great points, Mikey. I think that probably the biggest one, though, is what Toronto's been really good at this season, and that's keeping the dangerous scorers to the outside. Yeah. That's what they were able to do against Edmonton. We've seen them be able to implement that against the Montreal Canadiens earlier on in this season where they'll give up more shots to the opposition, but they're low percentage scoring chances, and you're giving Freddie Anderson a chance to see the puck from outside. So 
certainly that will be a key to the game. And if Toronto's able to sort of box them out and keep them out of the house, that little area in front of the net where you can uh, get the high danger scoring chances, that will certainly bode well for the Maple Leafs' chances in this series. Yeah, it's going to be a big series, I think, for for Justin Hall because he's going to have a big matchup, whether it is that first or second line. Uh, he's going to have a matchup, and, and he's going to have his hands full, and he's going to have an opportunity to show, like, hey, guys, I, I am elite. You know, I can go up against anyone. I am truly an elite defenseman here i'm a top four guy maybe elite's a little strong but top four (laughs) guy man you know what when we talk about the injuries of this team like the maple leafs are lucky that jake muzzin didn't miss an extended period of time with the facial fracture he missed just over a week and now he's back in the lineup and part of the reason why is because that second pairing that shutdown pairing justin hall has looked absolutely outstanding when he's on the ice with muzzin but then when we note like when you want to look back at that columbus series after muzzin went down uh, Justin Hall was playing a lot of the time with Travis Dermott and they just weren't as effective out there. So really lucky for Toronto that Jake Muzzin was able to return to the lineup on such a, on such a short hiatus. And it'll be uh, a lot on him and his partner, Justin Hall tonight to be getting the difficult matchups against the Winnipeg Jets top scorers, especially in the defensive zone. Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right. We'll take one more quick break uh, and then we'll play some cosine, no sign. But before we do, let's hear from our show sponsors, betonline.ag and Built Bar. Bet online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on your sports action. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and the NHL are in full swing. Bet online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. Real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet online as you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. We have been telling you about Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar on the market for a while now. Built Bar is the amazing low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, high-fiber, amazing-tasting protein bar with 100% chocolate on all their bars. Now is the time to find out which Built Bar is best. It is Built Bar Madness. That's right. You talk about March Madness. Well, it's March, so let's have some Built Bar Madness. And for today's matchup, we have Banana Nut Bread versus Toffee Almond. We also have Orange versus Peanut Butter. These are going to be some really good matchups. Personally, I'm, I think Toffee Almond gets this gets the go-ahead there. I'm going to go ahead, and I'm going to go with Peanut Butter over Orange in that matchup. But it'll be a good one. It'll be a tight one. You can have your say. Go to BuiltBar.com or to at Built underscore Bar on Twitter and vote who you want to win today's matchup. And remember... Use the promo code LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order. That is LOCKEDON20 to get 20% off your next order at BuiltBar.com. And check back to see who won today's matchup and who will become the best-tasting protein bar. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Lease podcast. Mike DiStefano here, the host of this show. And just a reminder that you can download this podcast wherever you get your podcast from and listen to the content that I provide each and every day that's right kenny each and every day we're putting out new episodes here on the lockdown lease podcast uh, also kenny's got a, a maple Leafs podcast that you can also go and check out none of the Leafs pod um we're gonna play some cosine no sign uh, have you 
have you played this before with me, this specific game? This is my maiden voyage, but I'm very excited for cosine and no sign. It is, it is quite the complicated game. <laughs> uh, it's extremely, extremely complicated. There's nothing quite like it before. I'll explain the rules, and then we'll get going. So essentially, for those who are also new to the podcast, I'm going to make a statement, and then you're either going to co-sign the statement or you're going to no-sign the statement if you disagree. You got it? I got it. Veto right. it if I disagree. So hit me with the first one, Mikey. All right, I'll hit you with the first one. And these are going to be uh, all three going to be Leafs-related. Uh, so the first statement I have for you, Sheldon Keefe will win the Jack Adams. I'm going to co-sign this one. I think that there will obviously be some coaches down the stretch. I like, admittedly haven't been paying as close attention to the 20, how many teams? 24 teams south of the border as I have in past years with uh, the Canadian teams just playing each other. But Sheldon Keefe certainly has to be in consideration at the end of the year. I think it would be uh, highly likely that he'll be in the final three. I think that if Toronto finishes in the first place in the Scotiabank North Division and they continue to steamroll opposition the way they have to this point in the season, I don't know how Sheldon Keefe would not be the top choice for this award, especially after his predecessor, Mike Babcock, basically struggled with a very similar roster at the beginning of last season. Sheldon Keefe was really able to turn it around and over the time over the time frame of the last year. So really impressive stuff for Keefe. He'll certainly be in the running and I would not be surprised at all to see him win the award at the end of the year. Yeah, I think he'll, he'll definitely, uh, I think he'll be in the running. The, the question is, you know, you, this award typically goes to like the coach of the team that surprised the most Right. So when it comes to Toronto, I think there was always expectations that they were going to take a step this year and they were going to be better this year. I think that they've been better than expected, but have they been so like that much better where Keith qualifies for the way that this award has been handed out over the years? I, I think that he should get it based on how well he's, you know, you, you look at this team a year ago back when he took over for Babcock, you look at him now, he's got this team clicking. He's got this team rolling. They've looked a bit better than they've ever looked before. And for that, I believe I will also co-sign that he should win this award, but will he, I don't know. You got to look at what's going on down South again. I think what Rob Brendamore is doing in Carolina is quite impressive. Uh, they got a 729 win percentage, which is right up there with Toronto. Uh, the Florida Panthers kind of qualifies as that, holy crap, this team came out of nowhere. So Joel Quenville could potentially be there. Jeremy Colleton in Chicago, who saw them as being a, a potential playoff team. So, you know, I think there's a couple of teams uh, down there that could also be in the mix. Uh, Minnesota, potentially, they're having a pretty strong year so far this season. So there's a couple other teams. Uh, and at the end of the day, I think that Sheldon Keefe is, is going to be in the mix uh, for this award as well. All right, your first one. All right, in the same vein, let's actually, uh, I was going to do this one a little bit later, but we'll go for this one right now based off your question. Kyle Dubas will win the Jim Gregory GM of the Year Award at the conclusion of this season. Cosign, no sign. Let's co-sign that one too. I think when you look at the moves <laughs> yeah. that he has done over the over the course of the year, dating back to, to the beginning of the offseason, which I guess we could kind of say was what? Kicking it off with, by 
getting a first round pick plus prospects for Kasperi Kapanen. Not I bad. mean, that was, right away you look at that and you're like, wow, they cleared cap space and they picked up picks and prospects. Unbelievable trade by Dubas, you know, moved out salary and Janssen bringing in uh, uh, Anderson, but more so alleviating cap space. Once again, um, what he's done the past couple of years, bringing in Thornton, bringing in, um, uh, Wayne Simmons, Zach Bogosian, you know, this team is just built really well right now. And, and he's completely the man who's constructed it. So for sure, I think that Toronto uh, is going to win the division. I think they have a shot at potentially winning the, uh, the president's trophy as well. So if that happens, I think Dubis definitely would be my front runner for, uh, for the GM of the year award. And he left out probably his crown jewel signing, TJ Brody, yes. in the offseason as being the most notable and probably the one that's influenced that decor the most, giving Morgan Riley a stable partner for one of the first times in his career. He really hasn't had the de- defensively oriented guy since Ron Hainsey left last year, playing the majority of his time with Cody Cece. I think oftentimes with this award, too, you can kind of look at the moves that the GM has made the previous couple and then look how they have influenced the team in the present moment. So you look at him making the trade for Jake Muzzin a couple of years ago and bringing in Jack Campbell, in addition to signing all the guys that you said, Thornton, uh, Bogosian, Simmons, uh, TJ Brody, who also, by the way, the team was interested in. That was going to be the initial centerpiece in the Nazem Kadri trade before Kadri actually added the Calgary Flames to his no-trade list in his attempt to stay in Toronto. So this is a guy that Kyle Dubas has been going after for quite some time, obviously able to get him in free agency over this summer. I just think all the moves have really worked out well for him and his uh, steadfast demeanor in the offseason where he was invested in the core of this team and said that he thought that they could win with the players in place has really proved dividends to this point in the season. So I certainly think that especially if Toronto is able to do well against the series against Winnipeg and continue their success against the rest of the Scotiabank North division for the rest of this season, he'll certainly be in the mix at the end of the year. And all the rumors are flying around out there that he's still trying to add to this team moving into the playoff stretch down the road here. So remains to be seen what sort of a cap wizardry Kyle Dubas still has up his sleeve. And with that comes my second question for you, Ken. Kyle Dubas needs to make a sizable trade at the deadline to solidify the Leafs as a Stanley Cup contender. Uh, well, I'd like to say that I'd like, I'd love to see what he can add, but I'm going to no sign this one. I I really, and that's basically based off the fact that I don't know how you're going to add something notable to this group without giving up something notable in return is basically like this group is up against the cap. I can't really see them wanting to ship out an active player on their roster. I think that Dubas moving out Kapanen and Janssen this past offseason was already some wizardry in itself to clear that six million bucks off the booth. But you know, I see the I see when people are talking about, you know, Taylor Hall making uh, a potential trade to Toronto. Even if Buffalo retains half his salary, I don't know what Taylor Hall is making. It says 7.5, 8 million bucks. Something Even like if that. Buffalo retains half of his salary, that's still going to be four million bucks against the cap. So how are you going to squeeze that in? Certainly I think that a lot of Maple Leaf fans would like to see Dubis make a move, but it seems like Right now, Toronto's definitively the best team in the division. I don't know that there's anybody I would be definitively scared of in the playoffs if I was the Maple Leafs. I mean, I guess the Jets would be the biggest competitor right now after they just handled the Oilers no problem last week. So 
if you expect that this team is going to be able to make it out of the North Division, then certainly then they're already going to be in the conference finals or whatever the hell they're calling it this year. <laughs> because uh, since there's not really any definitive conferences, but they're going to be able to crack into that final four. And if you could crack into that final four without having to add anybody, then that RA makes you a Stanley cup container contender technically. So I'm going to no sign this one, although I would like to see uh, what he has up his sleeve because I suspect that the Toronto Maple Leafs will be adding something, even if it's not a big, you know, notable blockbuster deal that's uh, coming down the pipe. Yeah, I, I've talked about this before. It's got to basically be like dollar in, dollar out if they want to make a, a, a sizable addition here. So to me, the guy that you could probably part with in terms of clearing out some cap space is a guy like Kerfoot who's making $3.5 And I think you can only do that because of the emergence of Pierre Engvall and, and the way that he's played as a third-line center and has pushed Kerfoot up to the wing, where I personally like Kerfoot a lot better as a winger anyways. But I still don't see him as like a top-six winger. So if you were to go out and acquire that true legitimate top-six winger uh, and use Kerfoot as as your trade bait, as, as a part of the deal to get that done, if we want to use Taylor Hall as an example, you know, he's making $8 million, They retain 50%. That's $4 million bucks. You use $3.5 that Kerfoot is. Now you're only sitting at $500,000. And I don't know all the – I don't know how it all works, but like a, a big reason why, you know – they wanted to have some cap early in the year. They were like you doing a bunch of paper moves to accrue cap space for, you know, when the deadline comes, like, I guess it, the cap gets inflated. I don't know exactly how it works, how accruing cap space works, but I think they could get something like that done. Um, I think they have the space to, to, to acquire somebody who makes uh, somewhere in that realm. If they can also, work out a way to to also move on from uh from from Kerfoot in that deal plus Kerfoot still has two more years left on his deal at three and a half million and there are some contracts over the next couple of seasons that they really are going to need to get uh get signed and if they can get that money off the books I think that makes things a lot easier when uh when the time comes this offseason uh all right your second one yeah, cost certainty is going to be big for a lot of teams. So that 3.5 over the next three seasons might look very attractive to a team who's trying to hit the cap floor, but doesn't want to spend a lot of money in the upcoming seasons. Uh, we sort of front, well, it's a very front-loaded contract as well. So the actual dollars is a lot less. So that's also beneficial. I know there's I know there's a certain GM and owner in Ottawa who <laughs> love those sorts of contracts where the money has already been paid out. So. Mm-hmm. Buffalo might be all right with that too. Yeah. (laughs) Fair point. Uh, We touched on this earlier in the episode, but let's get your like physical, like real take on it. Now, Joe Thornton should continue to play on the wing with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Cosign, no sign. You know what? Um, I, I would have no signed this if we wouldn't have talked about it before, but you kind of convinced me with your rationale about, keeping him on the the top line and just kind of putting him out there um, periodically, I guess, kind of limit his minutes a little bit and maybe double shift Hyman, uh, have him playing on the third line, then maybe like every third shift have him go out there with Matthews and Marner or in the third period you can get him out there with Matthews and Marner, kind of when you need a spark uh, out, of this, out of this team and out of this offense. So um, I'm, I'm going to co-sign it just because the other reason, where else is he going to play? 
And and I don't think that this is somebody who you're going to uh, leave off your roster and and healthy scratch him. He, you know, he deserves better than that. He is better than that. He can still play on a nightly basis. I think he's one of this team's best 12 forwards. Um, But I just don't see where else he's going to go. So I'll co-sign that. I think he sticks around. We already know where I stand, so I'll keep it tight. If I'm getting 15 minutes of Joe Thornton a night, I want that 15 minutes with Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. If you want to get Marner and Matthews out there for 23, 24 minutes a night, as we've seen at points this year from head coach Sheldon Keefe, then throw Zach Hyman up on the wing with him, throw you know Tavares out there with the two of them, uh, throw Nylander out there with the two of them. I don't care what he does. He seems to like to mix up the lines, lines like that in the middle of the game. So I'm going to co-sign that Joe Thornton should continue to play on that wing, but in a limited role uh, moving forward to try to limit his minutes. All right. My third one for you. We can keep this one pretty short and sweet. Austin Matthews will score a goal tonight and get off the schneid. Uh, I'm going to say no sign. I think he's going to continue his little bit of a slide here. Uh, The main reason is just that after he came out and said that the wrist was still bothering him or that information was made apparent until I hear otherwise or see otherwise, then I'm going to be inclined to err on the side of uh, he's not feeling right. So he's probably not going to be able to influence the game in the same way that he has been to this point in the season. Now he could come out and score three tonight and that would not surprise me at all. But that until I hear that the wrist, yeah, well, that's fair. Like he could come out, I should say, he could come out and score two tonight, and that would not surprise me at all. But until I hear otherwise about the wrist being 100% healthy, uh, I'm a little bit skeptical of his effectiveness and be able to uh, release the puck in the manner that he's become so famous for in this city. So I'm going to no-sign this one. Yeah, uh, I'm actually going to co-sign it. I think that he scores tonight. I think he's gone uh, quite a bit without – Without getting one here, I think he'll he'll finally score, mainly because the Jets, although they produce a lot of offense and, and they're a great, great team, uh, they give up a lot of chances. And I think Austin Matthews, you give him enough chances, he will score. He will bury. He's not completely uh, ineffective with, with this wrist injury. I mean, for a while, we didn't even know he had it and he was scoring at will. So uh, I think that he's just been snake bitten a little bit. Just the timing's been a little off, but uh, with, with a day of practice you know, behind him, a couple days rest uh, back home, uh, I think that he, he gets her going, gets off the schneid tonight, and puts one in the back of the net. All right, really quickly, what's your last one? The Leafs should try to re-sign Zach Hyman over goaltender Frederick Anderson this offseason, co-sign or no-sign. I had this exact cosine and no sign last last week, and oh really? I, I did. <laughs> well, because this is going to be a big topic of of conversation yeah. this off season, especially if they don't uh, move on from Kerfoot. If they can't move that Kerfoot uh, contract, then I don't see a way how they can keep both. If I'm being quite honest with you, and, and to me, I'm co-signing it because I think that Zach Hyman to me is is kind of more important like he's almost the star the straw that stirs the drink for this team like he gives this team energy and, and you know freddie's having a great season freddie is a good goaltender and established number one but we've seen this team win without him and i still think that jack campbell is a, a good enough goaltender that if you pair him in a tandem i think that 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 could get you quality goaltending and 
he's under contract next year uh, for what, like 1.5 million, 1.8, I think uh, for Campbell, you pair him up with another backup, uh, like maybe even like Jake Allen, who's going to be uh, up for a contract this season. I'm not sure if he goes back to Montreal or if he signs somewhere for, you know, two and a half, three million as a one B tandem type goaltender. I think that you could get more, uh, out of Zach Hyman and go with a tandem goalie at a cheaper rate than you would keeping a guy like Freddie Anderson and letting Hyman walk. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to co-sign it. I think you prioritize Zachary Hyman. I'm right in the middle on this one. Uh, because I'm, tr- I'm talking myself into circles in my head here. And one of the things I'm thinking about is the expansion draft that's coming up for the Seattle Kraken and likely the fact that you're not going to be able to protect both goaltenders, even if you re-sign one. So I would assume that either one of those guys that was up for grabs would likely be an attractive piece to swipe for the Kraken. Now, having said that, I think the starting goaltender is inherently so much more important than any other position on the team. So I would be hesitant to sign any player, any, any forward or any defender over a starting goaltender who has played well for the franchise. Now, People will feel that after Frederick Anderson's performances in the playoffs, that maybe it doesn't warrant him getting another extended contract with the team. Uh, It depends on the price point, to be quite honest, because I think likely with the flat cap situation, if you were able to ship out, say, 3.5 million, that might be enough to get both these guys signed. Right. If, if you have that little bit of flexibility, because you figure Anderson isn't going to be getting a huge raise based off his performance. And if it's a flat cap, I mean, Matt Murray, two-time Stanley Cup champion, got 6.5 in Ottawa. So you really can't feel like he's going to be surpassing that. Maybe if you can get him done for, you know, 6 million bucks a year, 5.5, 6 million, then that's pretty affordable. And then that would leave you a couple extra million on the table to go out and re-sign Zach Hyman. So I'm not going to say that they should try to re-sign him over Frederick Anderson. Likely they should probably try to get both these guys signed if they're able to do that. If the cap would inflate a little bit, that would certainly help their plea to get both the contracts done. But I'm not going, I'm going to no sign them trying to sign Hyman over a starting goaltender that is uh, established in your franchise, because I think that that's the player that ultimately influences the game the most and is the most contingent on your success. We've heard it all before the old, uh, the old adage, a good goalie can make a bad coach look good. A bad goalie can make a good coach look bad. So Anderson's been pretty good during the regular season. And ultimately you need to be good there first before you can even talk about uh, having postseason success. Yeah. But the Leafs are six and two this year without Freddie Anderson in between. Just saying. <laughs> just saying, not saying anything. I'm just saying, just to say. Um, but you know, I to me, I think uh, this is one where you might need to ask me again in the you know when the playoffs are done, when the season is over. Like if oh, they certainly. do want to run, and, and Freddie Anderson kind of exercises his demons, gets the monkey off the back, and and wins a couple of series, wins a game seven. Um, looks stellar doing it as well. I may have a change, change mind, you know, that could definitely change my tune, but right now as it sits, uh, I've, I've got to go with, uh, got to go with Hyman for me. All right, Kenny, really appreciate you joining me today. That was a lot of fun. Um, let the good folks here, the good listeners know where they can find you on social media or, uh, on your podcast. No worries. Happy to join Mikey. Uh, you can follow, find me at Ken Stapel on Twitter, at LeafsPod, uh, not another Leafs podcast, on the Hockey Podcast Network, at HockeyPodNet. And always appreciate having a chat, man. Thanks for the invite. 
All right. Uh, well, Kenny, enjoy the game. Folks, enjoy 7 p.m. puck drop from Scotiabank Arena. Maple Leafs taking on the Winnipeg Jets. That'll do it for us here today on the podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening and supporting the show. If you like what you hear today, please consider subscribing for daily Leafs content. Follow me on Twitter at Mickey underscore Canuck. Follow the show at Locked on Leafs. And follow Ken at Ken Stapon. Uh, I'll be... Uh, Doing tomorrow morning, probably, because I mean, it might end up being tonight. We'll see. But we're going to definitely recap the game uh, tonight. And until then, keep locked right here on Locked on Leafs.